Well, welcome back to Adipec on air here at the Woodstand. It's day three. It is uh, brilliant to be here, and I'm delighted to have me with me, Ken Gilmartin, CEO of Wood. Ken, welcome to Adipec. Colin, as always, delighted to be here, um, and what a fantastic, what a fantastic setup that we have here. It's just amazing. It's um, pretty overwhelming, right? As you walk around, there's so many people, so much going on. And uh, Ken, you've just finished a panel. Um, and we we'll want to talk about that. But before we do that, I think I remember this time last year, we were talking about the World Series. And I think I ended up on the right side of that with the Phillies being beaten by the Astros. And now I'm realizing that coming up this weekend is another important sporting event that we need to discuss, which is the Scotland-Ireland game as to who moves forward in the World Cup. Yeah. I might go into that with a little bit less arrogance, but, um, uh, you know, I, I'm tempted. I just want to hear what you've got to say about that before we get into the meat of all of this. It's it's so funny. Somebody just asked me before I came on stage whether the uh, whether the Celtic cousins were going to do something to knock out South Africa. And, and, I, and I said, no, <laughs> that's not going to happen. That's going to be a full-blooded confrontation and a full-blooded piece. So, uh, look, um, Ireland are doing really well. Um they, they, I, I don't know what the stats are, right? But they've won so many of the of the test match. But they're going to lose at some stage. Um, Scotland are always one of those teams that can, can outperform on the day. So, look, Ireland should win. That does not mean Ireland will win. Well, we'd love to be the ones that get in the way of that. But let's, I, let's, see, I'm sure, let, I'm let's sure. see what happens. Hopefully, this, is a, this environment is a sporting omen that we can, uh, we can count on. Anyway, listen, much more importantly, uh, right now... Just finished this panel. I've been looking at rethinking strategies for the energy security and energy transition. And, and I guess the panel we had was was focused in on the supply chain and, and what role that they play. Um, just keen to hear your reflections on on what was talked about, what yeah. what you what you took away from from the time as as part of the strategic conference. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the conversation was around energy transition and the pace of energy transition. Um, and is the supply chain ready? Um, you know, and I think look, the message that I had, you know, was very much around, yeah, we're ready, bring it on. I mean, I think, you know, from a, from an engineering standpoint, from a design standpoint, you know, where we are with our subject matter expertise from a decarbonization standpoint, where we are with hydrogen, where we are, um, in our traditional energy security pieces, because I think the other big bit we talked about was, you know, there is this transition that needs to happen and for this transition to happen, you need to continue uh, to have traditional oil and gas for a long period of time. But in that, we have to look at the carbon intensity and decarbonize there as well. So, look, I think that that was the conversation. And I think the other bit was a little bit around, you know, the geographies. Yeah. And, and where is this going to play? And, and you know, I, I think when you look at where we're positioned as wood, uh, you know, where we have our strengths, the geographies that we cover, we're in all of the right markets. Uh, we're in all of the right geographies. We have all of the right technology. We have all of the right people. So I think, let's bring it up. Yeah, just on that geography point, I mean, there's there was quite a bit of discussion over the past couple of days around things like the IRA in the US. We've talked about this before. Even on the podcast, I think we've talked about this before. We're here in the Middle East. Um, keen to hear your thoughts on that. And then also just just the other thing that I think was interesting was based on the panel, there was some some concern around Europe, I think would be fair to say, in, in, in some of the discussions from the contributors. So give me your kind of geographical lowdown yeah look i think i said i said it on the main stage as well when you look at ambition and the ability to do things quickly it's clear that the middle east has pressed that i believe button not just in 
energy transition, not just in, in decarbonizing existing assets, right, but also in that energy transition space. And you look at what they're trying to do from a carbon capture, utilization, storage standpoint. You look at what they're planning to do in hydrogen. So it's clear that they're moving and it's clear that they're moving quickly. Um, so I put them kind of preeminently and ahead of everywhere else. I, I think the Inflation Reduction Act in the U.S. definitely has created a stimulus that's also accelerating movement there. I think for the U.S., um, there still are some regulatory issues that they need to go through, planning, planning permission, all that kind of stuff needs to be solved. But there's an ambition there. And again, um, money is flowing in the U.S. also from an energy security, but definitely in that energy transition space. I think in Europe, yeah, Europe announced, particularly in the EU, the Green Deal. I think the, you know, that's really more around a, a policy type piece rather than a, than a clear subsidy. Um, I think the, the the conversation in Europe was the intent is there. Europe have came, kind of came out of the gates on energy transition ahead of everywhere else in the world, and probably had made some mistakes along the ways, right? So haven't had gained as much traction. But I think the Green Deal um, that the EU have come up with is going to help also provide some stimulus to accelerate into Europe, but a little bit behind. I think for, for the UK, um, some interesting things coming out of the existing government. I mean, it was great to see um, those carbon capture projects being, uh, being approved. But I think from a UK standpoint, there's more to come, right? Um, energy security, meeting energy transition as well. So I think the overarching piece is, you know, people don't want to get left behind yeah. in the transition. But the pace is going to be a little bit different depending on the geographies that you have and the ability to be able to afford it. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things I thought was interesting was our, our friends at OMV were also on the on the panel and and made this comment that, that talked about the, the sort of the issue of moving from theory into practice. And uh, I thought it was really insightful that, you know, there's been a lot of theoretical discussion, but not necessarily making it real in terms of practice, you know, from an energy transition perspective, what's preventing us moving from talking about a lot of good things to actually moving forward? Yeah, I mean, and I think, look, a, a lot of it is, it is that piece of, in the energy transition space right now, I think the, the actual return on the investment is not clear. And I think if you're, if you, if you're asking CEOs of, of companies that need to invest, you know, you have to look at it from a return on investment as number one. And if that return on investment isn't crystal clear, it becomes a question mark. I mean, the second piece is obviously there is a social value that you need to have. And the world is on that journey to, to net zero. And everybody wants to play their part on that. Yeah. But from a CEO where you've got money to invest, you have to have visibility on return on investment. And I think that's been a little bit gray. Um, people haven't been sure. You know, I, I talked to a lot of our peers um, in, in the space that we play in. And we've all come up with new and novel ways to lose money in energy transition, right? So it, it, it needs to be sustainable. Um, it needs to be clear. It needs to be a good return on investment. And at the same time, we have to get to net zero. It's interesting that you raise that. You know, there was a discussion. Was, uh, the moderator was talking about how this was maybe one of the most pragmatic panels that she had been part of. And and I think there's something about, you know, what, what are the practical steps we need to take now to, to start moving on all of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I, look, I think, you know, first of all, if you look at the various different geographies where you're starting to see government policy joining up, mm. right, to be clear in terms of ambition and scale and what they want to do. And that then now has to translate into capital being invested, yep. clear capital 
um, clear projects, um, clear, real opportunity that spades and shovels in the ground. You know, the, the piece that we talk about from a carbon capture utilization storage, you know, we've done more than 200 feed studies. Of those 200 feed studies, 30 of them have become projects. You know, you need to get to that scale. Uh, you need to get to that kind of ability to adapt and adopt. Uh, and I think that that's the next piece. Again, it's that clear, crystallized return on investment to, to, to be able to match the world's ambition, which is to get to net zero. I, and so the supply chain is important in all of this, right? W what role does the supply chain have in, in taking the world on this journey? And, and are we ready? What, do we have the resources and the scale and the, the, that we would require to make that happen? You know, we're, we're the designers, we're the engineers, we're the consultants, we're the constructors, we're the commissioners, we're the operators. We are the pragmatic pioneers. You know, the whole industry of what we serve has been based uh, uh, on delivery. Um, it's what we do and it's what we're expert at. Um, I think for us, it's, it's to continue to have that visibility on the pipeline, to conceive the courage and commitment that you have from our clients to continue to invest. We're ready, right? We're ready. Uh, we're the engine of the energy transition and the, en the engine's ready to go. It's good. Everybody who comes on our podcast this week, we've been asking the question, you know, the theme is decarbonizing faster together. Um, I guess I'm keen to hear from you. What, what's the one thing that we need to be doing faster? What would you, if, if we could do one thing right now as an industry, how would we get to decarbonization better? You know, the, you, can, you can talk to the tactics, right? You can talk to, you know, is it, is it flaring reduction? Is it electrification? Is it, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? I think there's, I think there's, there's, there's a whole series of kind of pragmatic and tactical steps that you need to do. Look, but my, my version is belief, all right? We got to believe. And we got to believe that in order for our planet to sustain is that we need to get to net zero. However, we need to be pragmatic in understanding that we need energy security to do that. So we need to believe that decarbonization and reducing the carbon intensity of what we're doing in traditional fossil fuel has to become central plank of what it is that we're doing. That's the thing that I think that we, it's, it's that belief that we need to do this. And, and I guess there was some discussion about doing these in parallel, right? That, that this is not an either or. BP have this this nice phrase of it's and not or in terms yeah. of energy security and energy transition. There's, there's a parallel path, right? We we need fossil fuel, we need oil, we need gas for for a period of time. We need to continue to grow energy transition. We need to continue to grow the ability, not just to create energy in energy transition, but also to be able to move it. Like think of it from a hydrogen standpoint, right? You, you make it, you move it, and then you have to use it. Yeah. Carbon capture is the exact same piece. You capture it, you move it, and then you have to sequester and use it. You've got to be able to join that up. There's a lot of work to do from an infrastructure standpoint to be able to facilitate that. Think of offshore wind coming onshore um, without any infrastructure for, to, to enable that to be connected to the grid. All that stuff has to happen um, if, for an order for energy transition to continue to grow. How do you store? That needs to continue in parallel, continues to grow, continues to grow. As we decarbonize oil, as we continue to, to look at how we get better and more efficient from a gas standpoint, and that starts to shrink. Well, there's a parallel path for decades. Maybe just the last thing, you, you, you talked a bit about what are the right conditions for, for accelerating this. And you know, we have this word together in the, in the, in the 
theme for the conference. Tell me a little bit about what what those conditions like and maybe partnerships. And, and partnerships are key. I mean, I think we, we, we talk a little bit about kind of supply chain. Uh, we talk a little bit about our clients uh, and we talk about, you know, about governments and where governments are going. I think the piece that joins all that is partnership. Um, and, in order, and it's to create those win-win scenarios where everybody gets a chance to win. You know, I think for our clients, there's an understanding that they need to continue to invest back into the supply chain. Um, and what that means is, you know, that whole traditional piece of um, lowest accept or, or, or acceptable technical lowest bid, moving away from that model to a more partnership piece, understanding where technical excellence play, pays a premium and understanding that that premium that our clients pays that goes to supply chain gets invested back into providing solutions to them as well. So understanding that that partnership model is really important. I mean, we just signed uh, an agreement with OMV here as well. It's about the circular economy. It's about understanding the technology that they have and the part that we can play to help them scale yeah. um, and bring it to something that's a lot broader than what we, we could do as individual parties. Partnerships are key. Partnerships will always continue to be the center of what we need to do. But again, I think our job as Wood is always about making and solving the problems that our clients have, right? Coming up with solutions, pragmatic pioneers. Um, and I think just the beauty of the journey that we're on at the moment is that understanding that as we're doing that, as we're helping to, 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 to take our place and saving the planet and leaving in a better place uh, than we found it coming after, but understanding that it's okay to make a profit doing that as well, but understand that profit gets really gets invested back into our people, right? And that helps to create and innovate the solutions that our clients and the world still needs. The, uh, you know, you represented the supply chain to, to, on this panel today. I'm curious as, as, as somebody deep, you know, as a CEO of the supply chain, are you, are you in an optimistic or pessimistic place as we look forward? I'm in a hugely optimistic place. I mean, when you look, when you look where we are. I mean, look, us just just purely from a wood standpoint. I mean, we're growing everywhere. You know, we're growing in all our geographies. You know, even here, I was just talking to our, uh, our head of P and O. You know, that in a year we've grown from 800 people to 1,400 people here, um, which is just a fantastic kind of testament of the growth vector that we're on. That replicates across almost all of our geographies globally and all of our end markets. So, well, what does that mean? It means. The strategy that we've embarked on last year is the right strategy. It means that we are growing as a company, which means that our clients understand how important we are to them on the journey that, that, that they're on. Um, so look, I think the opportunity for us from Wood is huge. I think the opportunity for the industry is huge. You know, I would say we are looking at the next five to 10 years of continued growth. Excellent. Ken, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us. And we'll talk to you again soon, I'm sure. Yeah, thanks, Colin.